0: Grace and peace. You're listening to United We Pray. This is your host, Isaac Adams. And I have the joy of being here with Trillian Newbell. Hey, Trill.
1: Hey. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing well.
0: And Trill, we have the joy of being joined by a friend, a brother, a historian we know, the Dean of Boys College, Matt Hall. Hey, Matt. Hey, how are you? Good. I feel a little weird about calling you Matt since I'm a Southern grad and I feel like I should be calling you Dr. Hall, but there it is.
2: Once you graduate, you have permission.
0: Thank you, brother. I feel um, my conscience is alleviated. Uh, So the deal is we talk for a little bit, uh, but we don't just talk horizontally. We talk vertically. So um, Matt, Trillia and I have some questions for you. Uh, Just given your work in race, uh, that's what you're Your PhD work is in, and I know your heart for these matters, brother. Uh, I've been tremendously encouraged by you, but we have a horizontal conversation for a bit, but then we take that conversation vertical and we pray. Uh, That's what this podcast is about. So Trill, ladies first, why don't you kick us off talking to Matt?
1: Yeah, so Matt, um, I have had the pleasure of getting to speak with you uh, before on a panel, and your wisdom and insight incredibly helpful. And so the first question is up your alley. What is the importance of history in regards to the American church, which is good to articulate, the American church and race?
2: That's a great question, Trillia. And I just have to say, every time you and I have shared a platform or anything like that, um, I always feel like the the Eeyore on the platform. And so oh. uh, <laughs> I appreciate it.
0: It is like Eeyore and Tigger here.
2: That's a good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know who's Christopher Robin, but but I, I feel like anytime is around, just uh, the, the mopey historian. Anyway, uh, it's a great Aww. question, <laughs> and it's a question actually that that I think um, it may not be as self evident as historians like me would like to imagine that it is the answer. But if you just look around us, so much of the conversation. Uh, not only in the culture at large, but even within uh, the church. And if we can even narrow that down to whatever whatever you want to define evangelicalism as, uh, so much of our history is uh, wrapped up in this idea of race. And yet for the majority uh, within our, our subculture, so to speak, within the evangelical subculture, uh, we often want to pretend that race is um, – kind of insignificant or or that it really maybe isn't even real and we don't know how to talk about it and we get uncomfortable and the whole conversation seems weaponized and and it just is counterproductive so uh, for me just personally and then as a scholar it was incredibly useful to me uh, to give concentrated study to where did this idea of race come from um, it what what is it and and how has it shaped evangelical theology and practice? How has it shaped the way we understand ourselves as human beings? How has it shaped the way we form and structure our communities? And even, yes, our local churches. So, uh, you can't really talk, I would say, you can't talk about race in America if you don't actually understand where it came from and what it is.
1: No, you're exactly right. I, I just think um, <laughs> I was—one of the first things I encourage people to do is to read, and to learn about history, and um, I think that, um, I don't know where I heard this, this did not originate from me, but ignorance is not bliss, it's just ignorance, Mm. and I think we want to make sure that we are um, equipping, educating ourselves, and we, it helps with um, love, empathy, understanding, gaining knowledge, which I think essentially helps with, our commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves. So I just wanted to agree. <laughs> well, and, and can
2: I just add to that, maybe, Trilio? I think if uh, uh, not just as a historian, but as, as a minister and as a Christian, uh, think about all in the all of the emphasis in the scriptures on remembering and how critical yes. remembering rightly and accurately is tethered to our identity. And so I think for to your question. Uh, having kind of a historical consciousness of where this whole thing comes from is part of that remembering rightly, not just the good, but also the bad. And, and that, that shapes then our understanding of our identity. What does it mean to be an American Christian? What does it mean to be a white evangelical, whatever that is? Uh, and you can just go down the line. But that that theme, that biblical theme of remembering is so critical.
1: It is, it is, it is. I um, was just speaking at an event and had everyone... Pause to read Psalm 103, <laughs> because it, we just we forget, and so I think that's um, something really important.
0: Yeah, spir- spiritual amnesia is just such a reality for the Christian. Not only spiritual amnesia, but just historical amnesia, and uh, how those two things collide. Uh, Matt, I want to I want to grab what you just said. The whatever that is, uh, because so often, and I think I've said this before, this conversation feels like we're in Babel. Everyone is speaking a different language, trying to be unified, uh, but everyone is speaking a different language, talking over, under, past one another. Uh, So help me with this simple question, two questions, two parts. What is race and how many races are there?
2: All right. And you want me to do it in, what, 90 seconds? Uh, I know,
0: right? <laughs> Thirty would be preferable, but you know, you only you only have your PhD, so I guess well, well oh, sixty. Uh,
2: let me let me suggest a couple ways to answer that question. I think, as you suggested, Isaac, the complexity of this is what makes the conversation uh, often so difficult. And and, and yes. it, honestly, just to take the pressure off a lot of Christians, the complexity can make it seem like a conversation that they are entirely. Um, unqualified to engage in. And we just need to take that weight off and say, okay, well, let's just talk about it and not all, we, we, need, we need to just have patience with one another. Uh, so when we talk about race, you know, you, you can read, uh, for example, in the scriptures and in an ancient literature, um, the, the the idea of genos or, or race. Um, and, and I would here defer to, to biblical scholars like Jarvis Williams, one of my colleagues here, who's done really good work on kind of the ancient uh, Near East and, and uh, the Greco-Roman world and what race meant, what that word meant. W- when we talk about race in 2017, we really are talking about something that is an idea, uh, an idea that was forged uh, really after the Enlightenment and in particular in the transatlantic world. What I mean by that is the, uh, the, the Western European and North American world uh, sometime in the 1740s and 50s, and, and the, the context for the construction of this idea of race uh, had to do with the transatlantic slave trade and uh, the idea of how do you uh, legitimize the uh, kidnapping and the sale and then the kind of perpetual ownership of one group of people? How do you legitimize that in a world that is dominated by some form of Christian, Christian culture? And so race, the idea of blackness and whiteness, um, and the idea that one group would be privileged over another, that idea really comes out of that 18th century world. And then in the end of the – more into the 19th century and the the rise of the scientific revolution and and post-Darwinianism, it gets tethered as well, not just to this idea and and frankly a theological idea. It gets tethered to uh, biological racism and and ideas of white supremacy that were were built on some really, really atrocious scientific inquiry and, 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 um, and abuses. That, that's really what we're talking about in different eras. But but the idea is this. There is no biological or genetic dynamic to race. People look at me sometimes with shock when they hear me say that. But we're talking about an idea. We're talking about the idea that you can take a whole group of people based on shared perceived physical characteristics, skin color being the most dominant, but others as well, and, and saying on the basis of all these these physical characteristics, I can attribute to you a categorical distinctive, and I can call you black or I can call you white and if you want to get an example of why this modern idea of race is so fluid and malleable, you can look at the history of who gets counted as white uh, for the last one hundred and fifty to two hundred years. that has been a very fluid category. Uh, did the Irish get counted as white? Not always did Jews get counted as white? not always
1: you're and, right yeah. Sorry. Yeah, keep going. I just I I have for some reason not really thought of it in that context. Go.
2: Yeah. So that's when we talk about race in America, we're we're talking about an idea that has been forged over really uh, two centuries and and more, um, and it's tied to the history of enslavement. It's tied to the history of white supremacy. It's tied to, um, and frankly, it's it's inseparable from from American Christianity. Um, then you ask another question, how many races are there? So let's answer that in three ways. One, biologically, there's, there's one race, there's the human race. We are all offspring of Adam. And to be even more specific, because we're inerrantists, we're all offspring of Noah. Um, so we, we affirm that every human being, uh, is an image bearer. Every human being is an offspring, uh, a child of Adam, a child of Noah and therefore is worthy of, of dignity and respect. But we also understand um, that in the modern way that we've just been talking about, we, we talk about race. Race is a reality. It's a real idea. It's not a biological reality or a fixed biological reality. But it is. It is. I mean, just look at America. Race is active. It's a powerful force and idea. And so we, we can understand there are, are um, certainly in that in that category, there are different races. Um, but, I think we can also talk about it theologically can 't we? There are in a very real sense, and this is where the gospel has to get us there is there are there is a new race, so to speak, that is being formed, and this can sound odd to people, but you 've got to go read ephesians too and what is Paul saying? He is saying that in this that Jesus is forming in himself, in his body. Through the work of redemption and through the application and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, he is forming one new man. He is tearing down the dividing walls of hostility between Jew and Gentile, and there's this emphasis on this one new man, this one new race. It's not biological, it's not ethnic, it's not, um, it's not structured according to the values and principles of the world. It is, it is a new creation that is formed through the power of the gospel um, by virtue of Christ's saving work.
1: Um, you, one of the things that I have noticed, however, is that sometimes people will use, there is only one race, the human race. They'll use that as a way to... Um, not dialogue about ethnicity and diversity and because there's, there's only one of us. And so why, why are we having this conversation? Um, I know I I don't want to get way off topic, but it is something that I, I just, when you said that, I thought, absolutely. And then I thought "I've I've had people say that to me as a way, as their defense for not engaging in the topic. No, have you're you ever right. heard that? Oh,
2: all the time, Trilia, and I think it's 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 a it's a really unhelpful way to shut the conversation down because um, if you look at the history of biological racism again in the 19th century and well, frankly, into the 20th century, uh, that was a common argument it was to try to suggest this kind of well, you don't have you know white white folks uh, come from this line of descent in humanity and, and 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 others are other they don't have the same biological. Uh, attributes, and so they're therefore not worthy of the same respect and dignity. So we need to theologically hold the line on what the Bible says, is that we are all brothers and sisters in Adam. Um, but I think you're right. If, if we stop there, what what can't happen is that the conversation stops there, and we turn a blind eye to the incredibly powerful force that the idea of race is in America. And and my fear is, I kind of think what you're intimating, Trilia, is far too many in our churches. Just don't want to look at reality and acknowledge this idea of race is incredibly incredibly powerful
1: yes
0: amen um matt i was I was struck by one thing I've just got my Bible and i 'm flipping pages. One thing you said that I draw from Ephesians um about walking with one another in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility gentleness with patience bearing with one another a love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace so just thinking about you kind of taking off that pressure going into this complex conversation um i do have one i have one more question for well two more questions but um because i i I appreciate that you're bringing out the complexity of the idea that uh, biologically speaking, there's one race, and we see that confirmed in Acts seventeen twenty six. I think Paul's preaching, and it's just a passing statement. We're all descendants of Adam. Uh, we we all come from one man. Uh, and then spiritually, you brought out Ephesians two. I think of First Peter two, where he usually where he uses that phrase, uh, a new race uh, that God is bringing about. I do have a question when I look at a text. I think it's Acts seven and Stephen's speech, and he's talking about Pharaoh. And he's saying he dealt harshly with our race. So, getting to Trillia's point that, you know, people, I think they want to look at one facet of how the Bible speaks about race, and usually the unifying one. We're all one race. But there does seem to be this idea, you tell me if I'm wrong, that there is this idea of peopleness. Like, we are, Pharaoh dealt harshly with our people, and he says the word race. Thoughts? That might just be a translation issue.
2: Well, it it is often a translation, and and here again, I'm going to defer to Jarvis Williams. You need to go read his magnificent chapter in uh, a book he edited with Kevin Jones. But the distinction even between Ethnos and Genos and what it means in the ancient world, and he looks at all the literature. Um, and, and 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 just to be fair. This is our our challenge too when we read Ephesians 2, and we immediately want to make it all about um blackness and whiteness, which Paul is not writing with that in mind. He's writing with this this other problem there in Ephesus. But but that the point is that all of these ideas have implications and applications um uh, for the American experience of race. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, thank you for that. All right. Brother, what do you what extreme positions do you see brothers and sisters taking when it comes to the American church and race? And how do you think those positions threaten the unity of the church?
2: I see a couple of trends, and it feels like we are living in a—if there was ever a demilitarized zone in the whole conversation about race and Christianity, it feels like it has just disappeared. And so um, my concern for American Christianity and the kind of particular tribe that that we live in— um, is that on the one hand, there seem to be many within the white majority who are um, perhaps exhausted and they feel that they have been critiqued and and analyzed and indicted and they aren't even sure why and there's a lot of resentment and I think we saw that in our national politics in the last year, and those dynamics certainly creeped into our churches and so i when I hear um Predominantly white evangelicals who just say, "I'm done. I don't want to hear any more about this. And you get over it. You know, right, You know, we're not living in the 1960s anymore. Whatever. I mean, you, you've heard all those stories. Uh, that that to me is an extreme position. That that's one that says, I, I I would call on a brother and sister like that. That's a that's an unwillingness to follow the path of discipleship that Jesus calls us to follow. On the other hand, um, I hear. I think I don't know if it's generational um, I don't know if it has to do with the rise of social media and kind of online platforms and the ability for anyone and everyone to pontificate I don't know if it has to do with uh, the rise of some kind of technical theories of intersectionality and, and all the rest but um, I hear from what I think are some well meaning um, young Christians um, who if I don't know them Personally, it's really easy to hear the conversation kind of go nuclear, and it sounds an awful lot like um, my blackness and, you, and, and my whiteness or whatever, that is the dominant identifier which which uh, frames and shapes every other part about me and my experience. And if you can't enter into my blackness, then we can't have a conversation as brother and sister. And I don't know that it's being put that bluntly and that explicitly, but um, – Social media has, I think, fanned those flames where, again, our, the, our racial consciousness becomes this kind of key that now unlocks every part of our identity. And that, I have to just say, is so unhelpful. And beyond being unhelpful, it undermines the central dynamic of the Christian life, which is our union with Christ, um, and so, yeah, I I need to be honest about the fact I am white. Like, I'm really white. And I'm saying that whiteness is an idea, but I have all kinds of privilege because of that. Uh, I'm a white male, of all things. So, absolutely, that's a reality that I need to be conscious of. But I have more in common with a brother or sister of color, a black or brown brother or sister of color, of color who's a believer, uh, than I do with another white male who is outside of faith in Christ. So... I'm concerned for this generation of of Christians that um, I think has really been taken captive by an unhelpful and unbiblical way of thinking about identity.
0: So, Matt, what, what lessons then do we learn from history or even historical figures? What lessons can we learn from them about those extreme positions that you laid out?
2: Yeah, this is where I would say to well-meaning. And I and I really want to say that this Isaac uh and um that second category of brothers and sisters that I alluded to, I think there is there is a, a well-meaning zeal for justice. There is a desire to see in our communities, in our churches, a picture of what heaven's going to look like. There's a desire to see an end to injustice and then a desire to see just frankly the truth be told. Yeah. And that and I and real hurt Real pain, real pain, scars that run deep, and um, so I don't want to delegitimize that. I just want to say, history I think can provide me and, and this generation with some really wonderful models of how do you walk through pain and suffering and yet not lose hope, um, not drive away your brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and frankly, sometimes even your your allies who may not even be Christians. But I would, you know, there are voices that I look to like John Perkins, and I just think, you know. Until you've been in, in incarcerated in a Brandon, Mississippi jail and had your skull cracked in, um, I'm sorry, you're not suffering on social media like Dr. Perkins did. <laughs> uh, and yet, if you look at Dr. Perkins' life of ministry, uh, now into his well into his 80s, the brother has never lost hope. He's never lost his joy. He demonstrates an incredible kindness, even toward those who disagree with him. You can hear, so both of you, I think, have been in settings where you've heard Dr. Perkins and... Um, someone will say something that you know, okay, I know he probably doesn't agree with that. And, And you're waiting for like the lightning bolts to come down. And he's so patient, so gentle, but he gently leads people along and he just has credibility. And I just think of the history of the civil rights movement was led by, in its most constructive eras, it was led by men and women who did not flinch from declaring the truth. Um, but whether it was Dr. King or Fannie Lou Hamer or Shuttlesworth or Abernathy or Andrew Young, I mean, just the true leaders of the movement demonstrated an incredible patience and an ability to keep their eyes on the prize, so to speak, and, uh, and to demonstrate Christian charity and, and, and uh, civility. I think if this generation can follow that example, clinging fast to the gospel of grace in Christ, um, there's, there's every reason to be hopeful,
1: um, I was just thinking that there i mean, there's lessons to be learned all around, right? so I think that uh as people are expressing, I think what what some of what you're seeing is is just deep pain that has been dormant I think what what I see a lot of um is I'm speaking specifically about my black brothers and sisters is a lot of people saying, I haven't said this.' For these ten years, this is what I've been dealing with, and it finally makes sense. And I, so I'm, I'm, I see, yeah, I, I think that healing, and um, it's coming. I, at least that's my prayer. Which we're about to do. There, there, there needs to be healing, and then, then there can be um, more discussions in the in the realm that you are speaking of. And I just have the, such a hope for the gospel. I think that as healing comes, that we will see that gospel hope displayed in this generation. Or maybe I'm just extremely hopeful, but I, I do. That's no, I, my I, desire. I, I'm with
2: you, truly I, I guess I would even say to own it, because I think, I don't want to just say, it's easy in this conversation to sound like an angry old man, and I'm not that old, but to sound like you, you kids get oh. off my lawn, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's and, debatable, and I, Matt. Yes, low, low, low. <laughs> well, don't fudge um, the numbers on us. Remember your history, brother. Remember. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> He's I'm kidding. not going to take the bait, Doctor. Um, but
2: I, I think some of this, what we're even talking about, and what Trilia, what you alluded to, so hopefully, is an indictment of the church's failure to catechize. And I know you, like, you didn't expect to go into a conversation on catechesis, but we have failed as as churches. We have failed to catechize, catechize to teach our. Um, our brothers and sisters of all races and backgrounds, what does it mean to suffer? Uh, we yeah. have been, in, we have, we've just been taken hostage by a counterfeit form of American Christianity that says when you get saved, everything gets sweeter. And uh, and I look at, I mean, again, go back to the history of the civil rights movement. There was a profound understanding uh, that to follow Jesus means to bear the cross, and we don't do it individually; we do it as a community. And uh, I think bearing the cross together—that's going to require some some teaching, some discipleship, some catechesis—and uh, that's going to look different in 2017 in a kind of post secular America than it did in in say 1960. Um, but it's so urgent. I think again, the the dynamics that you're observing are partially an indictment of that failure to teach and to disciple.
0: Yeah, and you look at you look at first texts like First Corinthians 12, talking about when one part when one part of the body suffers all suffer so that that note of suffering that you mentioned uh was useful trillia brought it up uh we've had much horizontal conversation that's all well and good i've really i really have enjoyed it um matt thank you but uh brother and sister uh you know it's so often i leave these conversations i was just like i need to pray oh how i need to pray oh how i need to be on my face uh about this before the lord Uh, so Matt, how this will work is I'll pray and then you pray, then Trillia will pray and then I'll close us. Okay. And you grab anything, any text, any theme from our conversation, uh, and you pray. That's really that simple. Uh, so let me open us in prayer and Lord willing, the people who are listening to this will pray alongside us. Um, let's go to the Lord. Father, we praise you as the God who is sovereign over history. As a God where nothing happens outside of your control. And Father, we praise you as a God who knows the deepest, ugliest intentions of our heart and loves us anyway. Who gives us new hearts Oh Lord, we praise you for your strength that despite the fractures in our unity, you have kept your church. The gates of hell haven't overcome it. They won't overcome it. Lord, we praise you for that. And yet, Lord, we confess, Lord, I confess that too many times I've held too tightly to my blackness. Uh, Too many times we've held too tightly to our own ethnicity, whiteness, whatever these ideas are. Lord, ideas we don't even understand. We confess that we're too... Concerned with other people's sinfulness than our own. We're not like that woman at the well, Lord. We're not like that woman who threw herself before you who was just concerned with being forgiven herself, didn't care about what the Pharisees thought of her. And yet, Lord, we thank you. There's so much to thank you for in this conversation. We thank you that there are many brothers and sisters who are striving to have a distinct conversation than what the world is having. Conversation not marked solely by shame or condemnation. Conversation marked by listening. Lord, we thank you for that. That's evidence of your spirit's work. Lord, would you let your spirit continue to work? And Father, we, we ask for more wisdom in this conversation. Your word says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. Oh, Lord, give us wisdom to see how history shapes this conversation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Oh, Father in heaven, uh, we are profoundly grateful that we can um, come to you by faith in the risen Christ, in our Jewish Messiah, who is raised raised from death, seated at your right hand, and rules over the universe right now as the son of David. Um, We thank you that all are invited, all are welcomed, all are, are invited and called into your family if they will trust in Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you would, even uh, through this conversation, uh, for those who might listen to it, uh, Lord, there are some who are hurting. And as we've even talked about, they bear uh, wounds, they bear scars of pain um, and injustice, of hatred. Uh, we recognize that that racism and injustice, it always affects not only the perpetrator, but the victim. And so we pray for those who have been victimized by hatred and racism. Lord, would you provide the healing that only you can give, the assurance of, of, uh, of an identity in Christ that is secure, uh, of the knowledge that you love all your children, and, um, And we pray, Lord, for those who perhaps are even under conviction that they have themselves been guilty and susceptible to uh, the principalities and powers of this world that traffic in uh, racial supremacy and and white supremacy. Uh, Lord, we pray for those who perhaps just feel paralyzed and don't know where to begin, don't know what to say, what's okay to say. Oh, Lord, would you, for your people, would you lead by your Holy Spirit uh, when we don't know what to say, we know that your spirit uh, leads us and guides us, teaches us in truth. And Lord, we also finally just ask, um, ask for, for for my sister and my brother and for myself and for all listening. Uh, Lord, when we're tempted to lose heart, and it is so easy in our present circumstances, in our context, in our culture, to lose hope uh, that there might ever come a day when we will no longer uh, wrestle with uh, the remnants and the, and the baggage of a, of a history of racism and injustice. But we we look to you and we ask that you would undergird us, that you would uphold us by your right hand. We trust that you are able to keep us from stumbling and to present us to yourself blameless before the presence of your glory. You are able, Lord. And so we look to you in faith, in Jesus' name.
1: that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. Jesus, I want to thank you. Thank you for bearing our sorrows, bearing the wrath that we deserve. Jesus, thank you that you are interceding right now for your own. That right now we can we can stand here, we can pray, we can weep, we can rejoice because of you. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are. Um, pleading with the Father on our behalf, God, that you know these sorrows that so many people are dealing with. You know their, their cries. You know their hearts because you relate, because you've been there. And you tell us that we can draw near to your throne of grace and receive mercy and help in our time of need this is our time of need, Jesus, and we ask you for abundant grace and um, just grace with this conversation and healing. Jesus, thank you for who you are, and it's in your name we pray.
0: Lord, as our sister prayed, we do thank you for who you are. We thank you for who you are, who you are making your people to be. Father, we pray that your church And the churches that make up your church, Lord, we pray that we would be family, that we really would be what we are in you, that we would not, that our churches would not be little courtrooms where everyone's trying to justify themselves before someone, trying to prove themselves, Lord. Let us all remember we've been justified in you. Let our churches be families. Let us rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Remember that when one part of the body suffers, all suffer, Lord. Let us feel the pain of our brothers and sisters. Help us to be merciful as you are merciful. Truthful as you are truthful, Lord. Let us not think the past is some relic that does not affect us, Lord. We're not outside of time like you. We're limited. You're unlimited. We're weak. You're strong. And so we're praying to you, Lord. We really are praying and begging for you to help us in these things. We beg you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Matt, I want to thank you, brother, for joining us. If people want to follow your ministry, where can they do that? You can just tell us quickly.
2: Yep. They can go to uh, Boyce College, college B-O-Y-C-E, college.com, or they can follow me on Twitter at Matthew J. Hall.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us on United We Pray. I'm your host, Isaac Adams, hosting with my sister Trillia Newbell. Trill, always a joy to have you. Uh, you can follow United We Pray, uh, Pod on Twitter. You can visit our website at PrayPod.com. You can find us on iTunes. One way to help us is you can leave a review. Every little bit helps. Or you can contact us on our website also and let us know some topics we might consider praying for. Thank you so much for joining us and praying with us on this episode. We pray it encourages you.